Hey everyone, welcome to Open Door Philosophy, a podcast for a current philosophy major, that's me, and his former high school philosophy teacher, that's me, unpack a variety of philosophical concepts in an understandable way, all towards the purpose of living a good life. Welcome to episode 5, Mr. Parsons, how are you doing today? Oh, good morning, Andrew. I'm doing great. It is a blindingly beautiful spring day outside. The beautiful warm sun is is awakening the earth after this horrid freeze we had two weeks ago. And uh, and it's just really, really uh, fantastic. I'm uh, I'm also knee deep in, in editing philosophy research papers, uh, the rough drafts of them. So that's that's keeping a lot of my a lot of my attention. And well, I guess the last thing I'm excited about is on Friday, uh, I, I did get my vaccine, my, my COVID vaccine shot. So oh, did, I, you have, um, did you have any side effects or anything? No, my, really? uh, my arm, my arm is sore, um, like kind of like lifting my arm you know, up kind of above my shoulder level. Uh, it got pretty sore, but I mean, that lasted two days and I'm just fine. I feel fine. Did you have the Moderna one or the Pfizer one? It was the Moderna. Okay. That's the one yeah. that I had too. And I had like some weird side effects for a little bit after, but I guess it's, uh, you're, you got lucky. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, when my, when my parents got theirs and my brother, like my parents are all like 80 ish and, uh, and they were just fine, but my poor little brother, he, uh, you know, oh, no. he really had a hard time with it. <laughs> he had a hard go of it. So uh, who knows why it, why it affects some people and others it doesn't. But either way, I'm happy for it. And, you know, hopefully hopefully we're all on the road to recovery. So how's, how's everything in your world? It's going pretty good. This week's going to be, um, I guess I'm a few weeks behind some of your students. I'm about to start my philosophy research papers for my midterm. So exciting. I've started a bit of outlining processes, but haven't quite gotten into the writing, but I'm looking forward to it, honestly. Then, you know, life is life is good. It's beautiful outside. Like you said, it's it's not cold anymore. So that always makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> so can, can you give us a sneak preview of what your research topic for your sure. papers are on? So for one of them, I'm doing a research paper on Plato's Gorgias, where Plato makes a positive argument, which is a argument based on his own own kind of things where he he basically argues that the hu- for the human soul the good is having virtue um, so I'm gonna be arguing a little bit against that but on the same kind of road uh, it, it'll be interesting I think actually I think I'll be agreeing um, but <laughs> it'll be good I think yeah I, I personally think that there's a little bit more needed than virtues but we'll see <laughs> virtue is a good place to start. It is. <laughs> Mr. Parsons, are you reading any new books? Have you picked anything new up in the past two weeks? I am reading a new book. So I finished up Shang-Zi, which was, which was cool. Uh, I'm still in my, I guess, long-term commitment books. Uh, I'm still reading Seneca uh, with my morning breakfast. And I'm still, I'm still knee-deep in that, uh, in that Emerson biography. I've taken I've taken about a week's break, but I, I'm going to get back to it anyway. The, the you'll be excited to hear what I'm currently reading. Uh, I began uh, Aristotle's Nicomachean Ethics. Oh yay! That's that's great. How are you liking it? Yeah, yeah. So so I just finished up book two this morning, which 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 basically is about the golden mean, which we talked about on episode three. Yeah, he outlines all that. So so for those who who aren't familiar with it, like it it is it is a it is a student or multiple students. 
account of Aristotle's lectures. So it has a very conversational feel to it. So, so it's kind of deceptively difficult to comprehend because the writing style, if you will, is so very easy to comprehend. Like, like it's written on a level, like, like you know exactly what he's saying, but like the implications of what he's saying is really big. And I kind of feel like, you know, I should be taking notes or something as, as I'm going along so that, you know, when I'm done, I can sort of like see the outline of the structure, this entire thing he's building. Uh, but I'm really enjoying it. Um, and I'm happy that I'm, that I'm finally reading it. It's one of those kind of books where, you know, if, if you're in philosophy long enough, you, you're going to hear a lot about Aristotle. And I, I think I, I know what I need to know about Aristotle from, from all those other sources, those secondary sources, but reading, reading the actual thing, uh, you know, sort of is its own reward. So, so I'm enjoying it. That's where I am. How about you? Well, I'm first off really glad that you're, you're reading it. Nicomachean Ethics is honestly probably my favorite book of philosophy. So I'm, I was really excited to hear about that. The new book that I'm reading this week is Stephen Hawking's A Brief History of Time. Oh. I picked it up just because I wanted to improve my knowledge of physics, I guess. But, you know, it's really interesting, actually. There's there's so much philosophy in physics, just about how the world works and such. Oh, there is. He's talking about one principle. It, it's almost an entire chapter on determinism. So that was really, really fun to read. I'm I'm really enjoying it. So I've been having a lot of fun. Yeah, that's one area I feel really deficient in is is when it comes to physics. I read a couple of years ago a book by Jim Holt called Why Does the World Exist? And, you know, when you when you investigate those kind of things philosophically, you can't help but get into issues related to uh, to physics and cosmology and all that kind of stuff. And boy, by the time I was done with it, I, you know, it just felt it felt like I was just very deficient <laughs> in that area. I wasn't entirely sure I understood a lot what I was talking about. And I guess the thing that was frustrating about it was that like, I, I could, I could see the, uh, the possibilities of, of understanding, you know, at, at a deep level, these, these types of cosmological concerns um, and arguments, but well, I just couldn't get there as far as like my scientific knowledge goes. So, so good for you for reading that book. Oh, thank you. It's, it's uh, I think it's meant to be kind of a, anyone can pick it up kind of book. So I'm I'm certainly not an expert in that field, but it is very interesting. Well, I was gonna say I am I'm definitely anyone uh, when it comes to <laughs> when it comes to physics. Boy, you have to really dumb it down for me. Me too. So this week we asked on our Instagram page who our audience's favorite philosophers are. And if this is a shameless plug for our Instagram page right now, but if anyone's interested in following our Instagram, it's Open Door Philosophy, just like the name of this podcast. So you should totally give us a follow and you can engage with us a little bit on there. So anyway, we asked our audience who their favorite philosophers were and we got a few responses. I've not told Mr. Parsons yet what any of these are. So I just want to hear a few of his reactions. Um, are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Let's let's have it. All right. So uh, this first person, I'm not going to say their name, but a few of the others I will. Uh, they said Plato. So I think that's that's pretty understandable. What do you think about that? Well, Plato's a go-to, you know. Okay. The next one is from uh, one of our friends, Joshua. He said his favorite philosopher is Derek Parsons. <laughs> 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 I've heard of the guy. 
I think his I think his philosophy might be might be a little uh, suspicious. I don't know. <laughs> and then I think conversely to that, um, our friend Mason said um, Andrew Graziano. So that's a that's quite a funny bit of a turn. Oh, there you have it. Um, and then our friend Kalen, he said Kierkegaard. I love me some Kierkegaard. I got to kind of be in the mood for it these days because um, Kierkegaard's so intense, yeah. you know, but, but, oh yeah, that's a good, that's a good one. And then I have to make sure, I believe this person's name is Aiden. They said Epicurus okay. were allowed to. So those are both two interesting, uh, both two interesting responses. I think Epicurus, I'd, I don't know how I feel about that, but well, <laughs> You know, he lands squarely in that whole like philosophy of living type of type of stuff, and you know it's hard not to talk about him. You know, if you're if you're talking about Stoicism, both of right. those are. I don't know if rival schools is the is the right term, but they certainly developed at the same time, and they and they both were aware of each other and wrote about each other, the Stoics and the Epicureans. There's a um, a book that I just read for one of my classes, a selection for one of my classes by this Roman poet and philosopher named Lucretius. Oh, yeah, yeah. I've never read him, but I know of him. He wrote this great, big, long book called De Ruma Natura. My Latin's bad, uh, so I apologize. I believe that means on the nature of things. And that's a long poem about Epicureanism. So if anyone is interested in that, uh, Aiden, and if you're interested in that, you should definitely check it out. It's supposed to be very good. You know, I have Lucretius on my on my shelf at school but I've never read it. It's one of those, it's one of those books that, right. <laughs> that, that you feel like you need, but uh, oh, I'll get around to it one of these days. I do like poetry. I think poetry is a very nice, uh, a very nice aid to, to philosophy and, or, or vice versa. You know, philosophy, uh, poetry can certainly be an aid to philosophy. Yeah. You know, speaking of Latin, yeah, you, you'll, you'll be excited to hear that I, I downloaded the Duolingo app this this week. Oh yeah. Yes, my intention was to learn Latin. Oh, they have wow. a Latin. Uh, they have a Latin program on there. But the more I got into it, the more I was like, ah, this seems like a lot of Spanish that I know, and uh, and and I'm not I'm not very good at Spanish. So I'm like, you know, what, I'll just learn Spanish. Uh, so I'm currently learning Spanish. So you know, by episode seven, I'll be I'm sure I'll be fluent. We can have episode seven in Spanish. See, si, see. Si. <laughs> <laughs> so for this week's episode we thought we would talk about identity and uh and and many things related to that and, and it came up because of a an example i used in class one day is a real world as real world of an example as you can get it's kind of a goofy example but it gets the ball rolling so so here's the deal i have a i have a, a plant it's a hanging basket plant it's an ivy and uh, the, the plant's actually called a pothos. If you looked it up, you would totally recognize it. In fact, we'll post a picture on the website. So anyway, I, I've had this, this plant hanging in my classroom for three years because once I read an article that said, you know, if you added plants or living things to your classroom, it improves the, uh, the aesthetics and the atmosphere. So as sort of a, a quasi joke, I bought this one plant and, uh, and said, you know, so we're going to improve the... Uh, the atmosphere of, of my class. But, uh, but of course, you know, all plants need names and students were very excited about this. So, uh, so the name that we all decided on a couple of years ago was uh, the pre-Socratic philosopher Heraclitus, who, who was born, uh, he was born in the sixth century BC. Anyway, uh, Heraclitus 
uh, hung in my room for, for three years and he was very healthy and all that good stuff. But at some point, and we all know this, if you have plants and pots, at some point Heraclitus, the plant became root bound and needed to be repotted. So what I did, so I took, I took, I took Heraclitus home last summer and, and I pulled him out of his pot. I bought a couple other pots. And what I did with, with him is I, is I split him into thirds. Like I just took a shovel and just jammed it down into the, uh, into the root ball and separated Heraclitus into three separate pots, three separate hanging baskets and, uh, and then repotted him and everything. And, and he's, he's doing, doing quite well. But this brings up a question, right? So I split this plant, who we call Heraclitus, into thirds. So which of these baskets is the real Heraclitus? Is it the third that was the original, that's in the original pot? Is that Heraclitus? And, and these other two plants that were put into new pots, should, should they assume new identities? Or are all three of these pots with the same third of a plant in it uh, also, should they just all be called Heraclitus? Like, are they different variations of the same one? Should they be called Heraclitus 1, Heraclitus 2, and Heraclitus 3? Or, or is naming the plant and projecting a type of identity on it, you know, the, the, the first mistake? And that's where this all went entirely wrong. But so, so the question is, you know, I took this one thing, I split it into three, uh, this thing is called Heraclitus. And, uh, and the question is, wh- which one of these is Heraclitus or is none of them Heraclitus? So, Andrew, that is the question that is pitched to you. It's a good question. I think that I think there's a lot of ways we can take this issue. Um, the first and most obvious to me is it's kind of at a sensory, not a sensory, a sensible level. So what uh, what the on kind of like a physical plane is the plant the same that it was when it was hanging in your classroom when I believe when I was a student, right? Yeah, I think that might have been the um, first year I had it. Oh, really? I think that the plant does remain the same based on on kind of some of my philosophical views that we can get to in a little bit. But I can see a point that could be raised by saying, you know, this plant is divided into three things. And then from each of these three things, when you replanted them into a separate pot, they take on a new identity of their own. Well, okay, so 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 let's let's take it from where you where you where you're talking from. So so this plant has been split into three and put in three different pots. So by putting them into these new pots, have these plants assumed a new identity? Are they a different plant than they were before? And if so, how? I think to an extent they are gaining a new identity. I mean, they are growing separately from themselves, but in a sense, they're all from the same kind of. They're from the same roots. <laughs> so that's a bad plant joke, I guess. <laughs> but they they all come from the same thing. So sure, you know, they might be they might be growing to be something else. But I think in essence, in essence, they are something that's quite similar to what they were when they were one. And I guess this raises a, a great question that a lot of metaphysicians talk about, which is you know, what is essential to the plant or what is essential to any identity alone with that? Like, like um, for instance, what is essential to me? If I lost all my memories, would I still be the same person? It's, it's a, quite a similar question, I think. 
It is, and that's why I think this is a, a really great example to, to talk about human identities and, and identification of humans, which are kind of two different things. So yeah, so so if we take our, our plant Heraclitus here, and, and he's split into three different plots, pots, you, you're right. Like it's the exact same plant. Now I'm not a biologist, but plants have genetics. Yes, can yes. you confirm that? <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so, so genetically, Heraclitus, who has been split, is in all three pots are are the same. It is the same plant. It's just that it has been divided into three separate pots. So, you know, by dividing it, does that? In what way does that make the plant now different? Because physically, like genetically, it is the same. Mm. So, so what has changed? Like, like, how does the separate pots change the identity? I want to punt on this question for 10 seconds or so and raise something that I'm thinking about that relates very similarly. Okay. Um, so I think that, I don't know if this would be an objection to what I was saying, because I do think that the, the plants, at least when you replanted them, are, are, are the same to, to an extent. But let's say that 15 years down the road, you have all these three plants, like we're saying, yeah, sure. Right now, they have the same, the same cellular makeup, or they share a, a quite similar to to the original plant when they were all one. So, sure, some people would say that, yeah, they they are the same plant. But say in five, ten, fifteen years, take another look at the plant, and now each of these three plants have been divided into three plants. Blah blah blah, and these plants might have totally different. Well, I guess it wouldn't be totally different, but they have slightly different, which would be a large extent, I guess, for those plants, different makeups. In that case, I, I would still say that they're the same plant. Um, and I think that kind of what we're we're getting at, or at least what I am, I know I haven't let you talk much about this issue yet, but I do think there's an essential nature to, to living things, mm-hmm. I guess to everything it could be argued. So... And I don't, I don't see why dividing the plant really gets rid of that. Especially, you know, plants aren't the same, it seems to me, as humans. Like you, if I took a shovel and divided uh, myself into three parts, you know, that's a little bit bleak. But of course, <laughs> I don't think I would, <laughs> I don't think I'd make it out uh, quite the same. But for a plant, it can still flourish. I mean, that's kind of what plants do, right? So I, I don't think an essential quality. Uh, is is divided when you divide the plant. What do you think? Do you uh, do you disagree with me? So so clearly, plants and human beings are different, right? We we can't divide you into thirds, and mm-hmm. uh, and of course you still live. Now to get really morbid with this, which of course we do in philosophy from time to time, <laughs> we would identify, even though okay, you would not survive being cut into thirds but but your parts that would then be lifeless uh we would still identify those as part of you sure uh you know your essence if you will we can talk here in a minute about what exactly an essence might be if that essence must be a living essence if you will or like when the thing dies that's does what happens to the essence but uh but you know we if you're cut into thirds <laughs> A great example. But if you're cut into thirds, we would still say those thirds are you, but the identity that we say is like uniquely Andrew 
would, in, in a way, a, a, a part of, so we have two identities here. This is, maybe this is where we're getting at. You have two identities here, right? You have the physical identity that is Andrew Graziano, right? Uh, you're so tall, you weigh so much, you have certain features, brown hair, brown eyes, and, and et cetera. We could do the same with any human being. So we can identify people by their physical properties, but then we can also identify the person by their beingness, their identity as who they are as a human being. So Andrew Graziano, the human being, the being aspect is you're a student, a college student, you're uh, X amount of years old, you hold these certain beliefs to be true. You know, the, these types of properties that are specific to you as the individual, your identity, uh, if that makes sense. So, so maybe, so maybe we're talking, you know, if we go back to the plant of Heraclitus, you know, that the plant is a pothos. That's, that's its material name, right? That's its uh, genetic makeup and all that. That's how it's identified as a plant and, and biologically speaking. But, you know, by calling it Heraclitus, we've given it an identity, right? A, a, not that it has a sophisticated personality to say you, right. but, uh, but by calling it Heraclitus, you know, you know, we, we could call you a human being or human. We could call you human person, Andrew, whatever. And, and that would just be your physical body. But, uh, but, but when we call you Andrew Graziano, well, then we're talking about perhaps the essence that maybe what you're, maybe is what you're talking about. The question that I've been thinking of while you're talking is the relationship between identity and, and physical substance. It is hard to compare a human and a plant, you know, because so much of our, our so much of our substance of being, or I, I believe it's is it qua in metaphysics. Uh -huh. I'm not I'm not very established in metaphysics, but it's like the substance that is you, the being that is you. It's for humans. I feel like it's so much tied to your physical substance and identity. And I don't know if that really relates in the same way to a plant, just because like you're saying, a plant is so different from a person, but hmm, I don't know if I'm backpedaling on what I originally thought. Um, <laughs> well, we're just working through it. So, so earlier you were saying that, uh, that the plant, so once we separate the plant into three different pots, Maybe immediately at that specific point in time, those three plant, those now three plants are still the same, but that they would change over time. Obviously, they would grow bigger, grow larger. They would have different, you know, some might have scars on their leaves in different places and develop different hues of color, greener leaves, lighter leaves, variegation, things like that. That over time, these three plants would no longer be physically similar to each other, like at some very base level, they'd be similar, like genetically speaking, but like their outward properties would certainly change. And that's very similar in a way to a human being as well. Like Mr. Parsons is definitely does not have the same physique uh, as I did when I was, uh, when I was your age. And, you know, I've, I, other things have, you know, have occurred, body gets older, it changes, wrinkles, you know, things like that. My beard is gray these days or grayer. And, uh, and, you know, when you met me, I had a goatee, you know, so th these types of things, these physical properties change over time. So again, kind of what you're talking about this, this, uh, th these two different types of, of identity, the physical identity and the essence identity, the body changes over time, obviously. 
does does the essence, the beingness change over time? I think that something that's kind of core that we're getting at is there. there's a lot of relationships that are going on with this question and how they impact identity. But I think something that's kind of crucial to our question is the effect of change on identity. How, how does change affect how something exists, what qualities it has? I remember when we were kind of planning for this episode, we talked about the ship of Theseus. We, we just kind of briefly mentioned it. I think I mentioned it. I don't know if we need to do a quick explainer right now. or Oh, let's, t- let's talk about it. Go ahead and explain it. Okay, so the way that I remember it is that the Athenians had this old ship of, of Theseus, um, and they wanted to keep it around because it was like a, a big relic uh, for them. And it wasn't important. I don't know if it was Athenians. I just assume. I don't think it was, actually. Um, my If any of my professors are listening, they were going to destroy me. <laughs> Let's just say it was a Greek yeah. ship. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I think it was Athens, actually. So that's good. Okay. So a ship uh, was very important to these these Greek people. And because... I guess it doesn't really matter, but basically it was one of their ancient relics and they wanted to keep it around. And as of course, everyone knows as time goes on to something wooden, the wood begins to deteriorate. And so, you know, 50 years later or so, they were like, okay, we're going to need to replace the mast on this ship. So, you know, they replace the mast on the ship. They get to keep their cool little relic. Say 300 years passed and they've had to do this repeatedly every few years to make sure that ships kept in check and eventually they've replaced every single part on the ship Um, so at that time there's nothing on the ship that's actually the same as when Theseus took it out and went on his great adventure but the people still believe you know this is the ship of Theseus so it it kind of raises the question is the ship still the same ship Uh, is it still the ship of Theseus or is it something completely new and the reason I think that we're bringing it up is it's, it's kind of a, a similar question as, as time goes on and things begin to change. How much is that being, that object, uh, still uh, the same as, as it was originally? So it's a great example when we're talking about identity and change over time. Whether it's the ship of Theseus that has all of its parts eventually changed or whether it's something that's more relatable to perhaps us like, like an automobile. You know, you change the oil in the automobile, you change the tires, you know, you, you have to replace parts on it new windshield wipers, whatever, you know, is that, is that still the same car? Or even if you want to look at us human beings, of course, like I said earlier, our bodies continually change throughout, throughout our lives. I think even on, on, on a daily basis, if you look at a multicellular level, you know, our bodies change that frequently, you know, so how do we know that that is, that is still in fact the, the same, the same thing, the same person, the same car, the same ship, and so that's why we do get down to this sort of essential qualities of a of a thing. Like, is the ship of Theseus is is that just an idea? You know, because if if the physical properties change all the time, then, then what is the ship of Theseus? And it seems like the ship of Theseus is an idea. It's the ship of Theseus because we all agree mm. that it continues to be the ship of Theseus. And if you apply that to human beings, that becomes a little troubling. I see. I see what your your point is. You know, humans are supposed to have new cells or something every seven years, like completely different. I guess 
I'm kind of on an Aristotelian camp just because that's who I like right now and I'm into him. Um, and I think he does talk about this question in, in one of his books. I believe it's the metaphysics, which wouldn't be surprising. But Aristotle, I think, would say something like this. What is the purpose of, of the ship of, of Theseus for the, for the Greeks? It's, I, I can think of two. It would be a, you know, it was this great transport ship for Theseus on his journey, if, if that was even real. Probably not. But two, it would be to be this great relic for the Athenian people. So that's what it's, that's literally what its purpose is. That's what it is. And that's an essential kind of quality of the object, right? That's kind of notable. So we can apply that, I believe, to not only humans, but also towards towards your plant too. So I can skip humans for now because that's not really important. Uh, but let's think about the plant. So when you bought this plant, I guess the plant, I guess when you bought the plant, like you said earlier, you had the intention of, you know, it would supposedly uh, make your students happier, make the room feel more warm, right? And yeah. so when you bought that plant, that was its, its purpose. It took on that kind of purpose and its identity. And mm. I don't know if you still like are bringing those three, uh, three pots to class or, or whatever now, but I, I would see that it still kind of retains at least some of that initial purpose. And even if it's not like, definitely Aristotle would disagree with the example that I just used about that purpose, because he would say that the plant has some fundamental purpose of its own, which is like growing, providing uh, oxygen or something. Uh, it would be much more foundational, but I, I think it, it can be kind of the same idea. Well, so just so you know, I've gone to uh, to rotating the oh. plants every couple of weeks because because my classroom doesn't have windows. Right, <laughs> like <laughs> and uh, pothos, of course, can grow in fluorescent lights, but they you wouldn't exactly say that they, they thrive. <laughs> so so I uh, yes, flourishing a very Aristotelian word there. So, so I actually rotate them every couple of weeks, but they do have the same purpose, right? And, you know, thinking of purpose and that being a, a means to identify someone, you know, Aristotle would say that we each have a life purpose. Oh gosh, what, what what's the Greek word for it? Do you remember? Um, it is, it's not, um, I think it starts with a T. Telos. Yep. So, uh, so Aristotle would say every every person, every human being, or, or everything actually has a has a purpose, a life purpose, a, a telos, as as it was called. So, like at a base, yes, you know, human beings have a telos, but also as we live out through, as we live throughout our lives, do we also not sort of uh, assign new purposes to our to our life? For instance, currently, you know, I am a teacher. You know, was that my telos when I was born? Maybe, maybe not, but that's what I've assigned myself. And and eventually uh, I will retire from that profession and I will have a, uh, a, a new purpose that I assign myself, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so, you know, uh, yes, born with somewhat you might call, I guess, an essential telos, but also, you know, throughout our lives, we assign we assign our own, own purposes and perhaps we assign purposes to other people as well. And is that part of their identity? Mm. Like, do we, by the, by the purposes that we impose upon other people, are, are we in some way responsible for their, 
their telos, their, their purpose. Do we create other people's purposes? How about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. We're, we're really spitballing this week, folks. <laughs> I think it's good. I'm, I'm enjoying the conversation. <laughs> I, think, I think listeners would be really entertained to know the, the amount of time we, we stand here and think between questions before we start speaking <laughs> again. <laughs> of course, that gets edited out. Yeah, I think that the essential like, question of what a telos is for, for a thing it's definitely, there's definitely a lot of arguments for it. Yeah, I think like the view you raised is really interesting because it's not only like a an internal purpose of, of finding the telos, but it's also kind of like a sociological um, impact on the telos. So I'm I'm curious if there's any uh, any research on that, any any philosophical research, and if there's not, you can uh, you can start a new school of thinking. <laughs> Yeah, like that really does get sociological, yeah. doesn't it? Like, you know, how 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 or to what extent does does society impose upon us? Oh boy, we're we getting ready to go down an existentialist <laughs> road here if we keep doing that. But uh, gosh, it it almost becomes a question of free will. To what degree we have that, and how much is determined by society? Mm-hmm. I yeah, well, I didn't expect it to go there. I think we can we can definitely have an entire episode on that because yeah. <laughs> I personally think that we have a humans having a, like a individual telos just for ourselves as humans, but I would be really interested in thinking probably a, a, definitely in a future episode, we have to talk about this uh, sociological kind of impact on what's the purpose for people, because that that is a great, great idea. That's making me think a lot right now. <laughs> So, so to maybe kind of start wrapping this up, do do you agree? Do we both agree that there's sort of, I guess, two aspects to a to a human being? Like there's the physical or two identities. Let's go with that. Are there two identities to a human being? The the human part, which is the biological part, and then the being part, which is the, uh, the sort of essence part. I think to to a degree. <laughs> I think to a degree they. <laughs> There are two separate parts, but I think to maybe a, a very macro approach, they're they're also very related to each other. But I don't know how related they are. I think I would have to think a lot about that. But yeah, I think at a kind of a micro and individual level, there is certainly some some differences between the two. Oh, that's true. I mean, like the person that I am or who I have become or whatever might very well have been dictated by the physical thing that yeah, I am. That's what, that's just what I was thinking. Say that I was a, a, a six ten um, basketball player or something, right? That mm-hmm. would change a lot of, of who I was probably growing up, you know, or if I was a, I don't know if, if I had a, a amazing vocal range or something, you know, that would probably change a lot of, what my identity is right now. Well, neither of us are, are very, are terribly tall. No. <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. You and I should start a, uh, a basketball team with <laughs> just people our size. <laughs> That'd be fun. <laughs> That's true though. You know, you think about that, the impact of the body in terms of your personal identity. 
Okay, folks, we're going to leave it where it is right now with this particular discussion. You can determine on your own what uh, your identity is and how essential it is and, and all the things that we discussed. But for now, we're going to head on over to the Quote Corner. Okay, welcome to the Quote Corner, a portion of our show where we take a famous quote from a philosopher, discuss it for a few minutes, and then give it a rating. So this week, since we were covering the pre-Socratic philosopher Heraclitus, he certainly has one of the most well-known quotes uh, in philosophy. So we thought we would deal with this one today. So I'll read it, and then uh, and then Andrew, you can, you can give us your reaction, and, and that will begin our short discussion. So here we go. The quote is, No man ever steps in the same river twice, for it's not the same river, and he's not the same man. <laughs> you know, this is kind of a, a funny, funny side comment before I dive into what I think. But we were actually thinking about using a portion of this quote for our, our title uh, when we were planning on this podcast. So, so oh, that's, that's right. Funny. <laughs> that's right. We were go. We were one of our ideas was uh was it the same river I think twice? It, I think that's it what was we the going. same river twice. <laughs> Yeah, and then we caught some heck from friends because they said that's a, a, a lyric from Pocahontas, <laughs> the Disney movie, <laughs> just around the river bend. So everyone would think of that song every time yeah. they heard a podcast. <laughs> Could have been some good theme music, though. <laughs> mm. Licensing fees oh, involved that with that awful. at all. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I think that... I do have a little bit of, of trouble with this quote, even though I think it is it is wonderful and it is very famous. I just, you know, this quote reminds me a lot about change and it kind of sounds like the same world is always changing. Uh, you know, you not being able to step in the same river twice is, 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 is quite a statement to make. But the thing that I keep thinking about is if we, like if we're always in this state of change, always in this state of flux, changing, that means that there's never, there's literally never anything permanent ever. Not only is it our our souls or, or what we are, our central qualities, but also like our physical identity. Not only of us, but of that river too. So if it, there is like, if there's never anything permanent going on, I it's hard for me to see how there is ever something that is really existing. You know, how is there ever anything me if I'm always undergoing literal change like i'm always changing <laughs> so uh, i really like this quote and I, I think i think the thing i really like about it has to do with just the nature of experience itself not only is the river changing but we are also changing and uh, I, I get what you're saying about um about needing to be able to to sort of anchor to something you know if everything's always changing then my goodness how do we even deal with that but it does seem to be true, what well, is like the theme of the show, to an extent, uh, it does seem to be true to an extent that, that, of course, I mean, existence is constantly changing and we are constantly changing. I don't know. I, so, so it made me, think of a, uh, made me think of a Wallace Stevens poem. Let me just read this for just a second. Wallace Stevens was a, a 19th, 20th century poet. So he wrote this, 20 men crossing a bridge into a village are 20 men crossing 20 bridges into 20 villages. The thing I like about it is that it really addresses this idea that each of us are individually experiencing everything, even though we experience it collectively. You know, 20 men crossing a cro- walking across a bridge 
is is 20 men, you know, crossing 20 bridges. It's the same bridge for everyone, but they'll experience that bridge slightly differently. And walking into that village, they'll experience that village slightly differently, depending on where they're at in their particular life. Maybe it's the first bridge they've ever walked across, uh, or maybe the village is the first type of village they've ever seen of, of that particular architectural style or something. Um, whereas the next guy would be like, eh, I've seen a hundred villages that look this way. I don't know. No, I get that. I, I actually do really like it when it is applied to the life of a person. I guess I'm just being kind of petty with Heraclitus. <laughs> uh, oh, you can be very petty with him, please. <laughs> he was kind of petty. Oh, yeah. I think uh, <laughs> I think one class we talked about this quote because I think it's a fragment or something. And my one of my professors was telling me that the followers of Heraclitus were using this justification to saying that science was kind of pointless because if everything's always in a state of change, we can't make reliable predictions about things that change. So there's no point in studying anything. <laughs> uh, so I can see the pettiness and I guess it's rubbing off on me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's true on, on, on both, on both levels. It almost goes back to what we were talking about earlier is like, it's like uh, objectively, yes, there are there are laws of of physics, of science, of nature that we know don't change. I mean, this does allow us to make predictions about the movements of the stars and the planets and, and all of these types of things. You know, so I guess that's I guess that's the river using the metaphor. But but I, I mean, I guess the big takeaway for me is like certainly we yeah. change and our our uh, our experience of whatever is objective out in the world does change. Mm. Um, I, and I could be wrong on this. I, I think, I think it was Plato kind of picked up on this idea. Well, actually a lot of this, a lot of the Greek philosophers is that, you know, the, the, the world is, is always in a state of, of change. This is what, yeah, yeah, Plato. So this is why he sort of developed the, the, the idea of the world of forms is that the, the world is always changing. My, my body is always changing and it will one day cease to change. Or rather, it will continue to change into something else once I die. So, so everything does always change. But like, there's things that underlie that that don't change, right? Like laws of nature. Well, okay, then I guess it's time to uh, it's time to give this this quote. All right, you, a rating. you go first. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, I think you've you've gone first most of the time. Sorry for putting <laughs> no, you on the spot. That's good. Okay, um, giving this quote. Uh, four stars. Okay. I think I'm going to give yes. it a 2.5. <laughs> oh, man. I'm being kind of brutal. I actually, I'll bump it up to a three. I think you did convince me humans are always changing. And I do like I, I do like that idea. But I don't know. I don't know if I, I feel like there's something a little odd with it. I can't quite put my finger on it, but... When I'm being petty, when I'm being a Heraclitus, Heraclitian, I don't know. I guess I am. Be, I'm. I'm picking up on some of his uh, pettiness. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, I, I guess I gave it a four because uh, it's a good discussion starter. Right. I guess any of the quotes we've talked about are good discussion starters. So maybe that's not a good justification. But uh, but but I do like the emphasis it places on. Uh, individual experience. I think that's a really important thing to to remember that uh, no person's experience is, is the same. And so when we get into sort of like group think, you know, it's like, yeah, but 
yeah, every single person, whatever it is you're talking about, that's caught up in group think, uh, every single person is, is approaching that in a slightly different way, even if you think everyone is really thinking in the same way. But, uh, but yeah, the whole, the river doesn't change or the river does change. Yeah. There are certain, certain things that, that don't seem to change in terms of like at least laws of nature. So, so that's, that's why it gets a four. right everybody that's going to be about it for today's episode we'd really really love it if you were going to leave a positive review and hit the subscribe button you know wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll know when new episodes drop you can be the first listener that'd be pretty awesome and of course you should pass it on to your friends um, so they can listen and gain some talking points for your next conversation yeah you bet and we would of course love to hear from you if you'd like to tell us what you think about the show if you have any questions if, you, if there's a philosophy quote that you'd like for us to discuss and rate and destroy, please email us at opendoorphilosophy at gmail.com. As alluded to earlier, you can follow all of the philosophy on Twitter and Instagram and our website at opendoorphilosophy and our Twitter page, opendoorphil, Instagram, opendoorphilosophy, where you can find many, many things about the show, including our book list, quotes we featured, and other media of photos and such that we've done. You can also be included on special audience things, such as what we did at the beginning of the episode. We'd really love to connect with you on any of our platforms. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. And remember, when your life seems in need of some philosophy, the door is always open.